Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Crime Ghoul, where I'm your host, Brittany, and thanks for joining me for another true crime case. I'm so happy to have you with me. Today's case is rough, and I mean rough. And I know I'm always saying that, like, this case is disturbing, or this case is, you know, really unsettling, but sincerely, guys, this case is difficult for me to spew out to you. I'm going to give it my best shot because this is both a terrifying and remarkable true account. So today I'm taking you to South Africa to hear Alison Botha's case. So let's get right into it. Go on and get cozy, maybe in your favorite corner of your home or continue running your errands. Or maybe you're at work and if so, keep on pushing through. You're going to do great. But most importantly, take a moment for yourself today. Take a sip of your coffee and taste those coffee beans in their entirety. Feel the fluff of the whipped cream on your hot chocolate hit your lip. Or concentrate on the tart taste of your wine. Maybe just take in the comfort of where you are sitting. Feel the cushion beneath you or the chair beneath you. And don't stress. You're in a safe place. But this story is about to take you on a difficult and unsettling ride. So bear with me, and as always, I thank you for listening, and thank you for being present with me today. Be aware that this story is not for the faint of heart. So Allison lived in South Africa, right in the hamlet of Port Elizabeth. The year is 1994 and she's 27 years old. She was a very sentimental and life-loving woman. She had just returned home from living overseas for a short period of time. Her mom was so relieved that her baby, well, her grown baby girl, was back home safe. It was the 18th of December 1994 and it was summer over in South Africa. It had actually been the perfect summer day. You know, the one where you had been at the beach all day and your skin had been so kissed by the sun that it feels tight. Now I want to pretend that we're all beach people here because I know some of you probably turn as red as a lobster in the sun or just plainly you dislike the beach. But if you get where I'm going, this day was a summer dream. Allison had spent all day in the sun and salt water with her friends. Her skin was tan. She had this beautiful dark brown, almost almost blackish hair with these all-encompassing blue eyes. Just She was just a very beautiful woman inside and out. And after their long day at the beach, she invited her friends to come back over to her apartment and they ordered a pizza. They ate the pizza, hung out, and played board games. They had a great time, the best time. That perfect day would come to an end, and Allison drove one of her friends home. She had to pick up her laundry from that girl's house anyway, so it was really a simple trip around the block. And clean laundry in exchange for a ride sounds good to me. So after dropping her friend off and picking up her laundry, Allison arrived back at her apartment complex. Or it wasn't really a complex, it was like an apartment building, if you want to say that. It's kind of hard to explain, but... I know it was referred to as a flat when I was researching this, but anyway, her usual parking spot had been taken, so she had to park a little bit of a ways down from where she lived. Allison had her car window rolled down. She was feeling the warm summer evening breeze brush up against her face, and she put her car in park, and she was gathering her bag when all of a sudden she felt it, a cold, sharp blade of a knife touching her neck. A man had stuck his arm through the window, and he had a knife pressed to her throat. 
There was not a moment to breathe, only a moment to feel the blade in a stern voice. Move over, or I'll kill you. She slid from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. Her doors were unlocked. She should have jumped, but instead of fearing the worst, she quickly chose to believe in the best. The man turned the key in the ignition and drove off with Allison. He quickly told her he didn't want to hurt her. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, right. Well, fear and doubt tell you otherwise. The voice in her head said, you know, maybe he won't hurt me. Maybe this will work out. If I just comply, if I just do what he wants, maybe I will be okay. Maybe he just seriously needs my car. He explained he just needed to use her car for an hour. So she's like, yep, okay, so this is fine. It's fine. We're fine. The man said his name was Clinton. He had to be near Allison's age. If not, he couldn't be much older than her. He was Caucasian with dirty blonde hair. He asked if she had a boyfriend. What he's doing here is building rapport, and it was working. Allison started feeling a false sense of security. If only she had known. After a good amount of time, Clinton pulled over and picked up another man. This was when Allison's security turned into nothing but true fear. Because when she looked at this man from the rearview mirror... They met one another's eyes, and she saw nothing but dead, cold, evil. In this moment, it dawned on her, a dreadful realization. She would not be going home. They continued driving. Eventually, passing all the streetlights, they were cruising into darkness, just the three of them, and headlights before them. Now, please use caution as we move forward. There will be talk pertaining to rape and sexual assault. If you find this triggering, please skip forward. The car pulled into an alcove. Clinton coldly asked, are you going to fight? Allison said nothing, but she knew she had never laid a hand on anyone. She had never fought anyone. She decided the only way to save herself was to do exactly what they wanted. Clinton forced her to have oral sex with him while the other devil stood watching and smoking a cigarette. Clinton then performed oral sex on her, asking deplorable questions, sickening ones, such as, do you like it? Does your boyfriend do this to you? Your taste is great. Ugh, foul. How foul. He began lightly biting her and kissing her, and she wanted him gone. She wanted to feel nothing. Then he raped her. Allison hated herself at this moment. It wasn't that she did anything wrong. It wasn't that she hated herself for not fighting. It was that her body was responding to the assault. The body does things in order to protect itself. Like a well-oiled machine, we protect ourselves from breaking. And that's just what was happening. And Clinton thought she liked what he had done to her. He couldn't be more wrong. Allison had felt that her body had betrayed her. The other devil decided to speak and called out to his hellbent friend. He said, Franz. And that's when she knew that his name was not Clinton. It was Franz. He responded, Oh, teens, would you like a go? And he responded something disgusting that I refuse to repeat. But in this moment, Allison knew that the devil had names. They were Franz and Tans. She would hold on to this and it would keep her going. Franz sarcastically scolded Tans, saying, You mustn't talk to her like that. She's a lady. You must speak properly. I guess this was just all a joke to them. Teens grabbed Allison by the throat, and the next thing she knew, her bowels had been evacuated. Now, did you guys hear me right? Her bowels evacuated. And no, I don't mean that she relieved herself by going to the bathroom. What I mean is that her actual bowels had been excreted from her body. It was meeting the salt air, something that should never happen. 
Allison saw nothing but red splashing up from her body as a knife was plunged into her abdomen and pubic area, a total of 47 times. Tians then cut her throat. Franz pushed him out of the way and then got his slashes in. Her glazed eyes stared up at Franz and his angered face. She saw the moon behind him, and ironically, the glow from it gave him sort of a halo. Perhaps this was God telling her that he was with her. If not God, something was with her that evening. But the question is, what? Franz alone slashed her throat a total of 17 times. He was panting from the overall effort it took for him to do such a disgusting thing. The stabbing finally stopped. Allison noticed that their faces and bodies were getting smaller and smaller, their voices fainter and fainter. Laying on the ground where they had left her, she could see them getting into the car, throwing her clothes out of the car. It seemed that they were leaving. Allison felt no pain, but she was in tune to the noise of her own breathing. She was listening to the sound of her breathing through her severed windpipe. It scared her beyond belief. An overwhelming feeling of helplessness and sadness poured over her as she realized that she was dying, that she was not going to live. She had an astral experience, and some of you may have heard of this before. It's called astral projection. Maybe if you, you've done it in your sleep even. It's like this feeling you have when you leave your body and you're above your body looking down at it. Allison saw herself. She was outside of her own body and she saw her naked body covered in blood and sand and she was in a fetal position. She realized that that noise, the gurgling sound of her breathing had stopped. She no longer heard it. She felt distance from her body, but not too far away from it, but far enough that if she wanted to leave, she could. But Allison decided she wanted to go back. She wanted a chance to live her life better. In a quick moment, she felt herself back in her body, in tune to the noise of her gurgled breathing, in tune to the sand beneath her. Allison knew one thing. She never wanted friends and teens to do this again. She began writing their names in the sand, knowing full well that she may never be able to tell anyone herself. She continued writing in the sand. I love mom. It took a lot of effort for her to do that. And suddenly she became aware of some type of weight at her leg, something on her leg or touching it. And that's when she realized that her intestines were outside of her body. Her denim shirt had been in the sand nearby, so she grabbed it. She used it and she put what was outside of her body into the shirt and cradled it with one hand. She started to use her other hand to push off of the sandy ground. She realized that there was barbecue ash residue on the ground and some shattered glass but she began to crawl through it anyway. She felt herself getting weaker. She began to think of what would happen if she gave into her frail body. No one would know just how long she fought to survive. And her mom, her mom would have so many unanswered questions. She couldn't bear the thought of leaving the earth that way. So she continued on. The crawling was awkward. It wasn't working. She knew that she had to do better. So she managed to stand with great effort. As she stood, everything went black. She thought she was seeing stars. She reached to feel her face and realized that she had stuck her hand right into her open throat. They had severed the muscles in her neck. It wasn't that she thought she was seeing stars. She was actually seeing stars. She realized that her head was half severed. It had flopped back and it was looking up at the night sky. 
Using the other hand that was open and not holding her denim shirt, she fixed her head. She had made it sit up straight so she can see what was in front of her. And that was just like really weird for me to put into words, so I'm sorry if it sounds weird, but like my stomach literally starts twisting inside and out when I think about how she must have felt in that moment. With one step at a time, she began moving forward, walking forward. She felt that somebody else had taken control of her body. Somebody was walking for her. Her legs were moving, but it didn't feel like it was herself. The next thing she knew, she was standing at a road. She collapsed onto the ground and thought to herself, what's the worst that could happen? I get run over by a car? She saw headlights in the distance and for a moment she became hopeful. And then she feared that maybe friends and teens would be coming back. The car stopped and it was just a moment, a brief moment that it stopped and it was as if they just took a look and they were like, well, I gotta get out of here because they quickly sped off and left her laying on the ground. Which I'm sure I can't really blame anybody. It must have been an extremely disturbing sight. But I mean, come on, call the cops, do something, help her, I don't know. She then heard another car in the distance. Inside the car was a 20-year-old veterinary technician who had been away on holiday in Port Elizabeth. He had just left the beach with his friends and it was him driving home. When all of a sudden, he saw something in the road. His heart must have been beating out of his chest. He was terrified, but he knew he had to be brave, and he was. Him and his friend darted out of their car and approached the woman that was on the street. They realized she was covered in blood and she was naked. The vet tech quickly grabbed her hand, not caring that there was blood all over it. He looked into her eyes and saw how frightened she had been, and he said, I am here for you. We are going to help you. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. He did everything he could. He was so determined to keep her alive. Allison was one of those people who, who revolved their life around making other people happy and making sure that they were happy. She could feel how badly he wanted her to live and this gave her an extra boost because she decided she could definitely not die in this moment. This man was so determined to help her and what if she did die? he'd have to live with that and she couldn't bear to think about that either so she fought and she fought he began to strip his clothes off using them to cover her body luckily one of his friends had a cell phone which in 1994 was brand new technology at the time so he began calling for emergency help 40 painstaking minutes had passed and finally an ambulance had arrived the vet tech refused to part ways with Allison. He had held her hand the whole entire time. The whole time that they had waited for the ambulance, he looked into her bloodshot, crystal blue eyes and did everything in his power to keep her awake and conscious. The hospital was a 15 minute drive away and the paramedics were not driving fast enough. The technician asked them to drive faster and they seemed to have already called it quits on her. Seeing the condition she was in, he could tell that they already thought she was dead, despite the fact that she was still breathing. He was persistent and urged them to drive faster, and they did. They finally arrived to the hospital to emergency services, and this was the first time in over an hour that he had to let go of Allison's hand, and she went into immediate surgery. From the moment Franz took her and her vehicle captive to now, it had been 90 minutes. 
In 90 minutes, two men mutilated her body and changed her life forever. This evening had also changed the veterinary technician's life. It was that night that he decided he would become a doctor. He would leave his veterinarian school. Allison was brought into the intensive care unit where her doctors were stunned by what had been done to her body. The intensive care unit surgeon had been there for many years and he had never seen such horrible atrocities committed on a body or a human being before. He learned that she had been disemboweled and could not understand the ferociousness or the depravity that came with this crime. He was terrified. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know how he was going to make her better. But he didn't panic. He stayed calm and he took on this task in front of him and was going to do his best to save her life. This doctor knew he was going to need the help of a surgeon who was on call. So he called him in and luckily this surgeon also was an ENT surgeon. He specialized in ENT surgeries in his country, his home country, and together they were going to put Allison back together again. And they did. They had to meticulously clean her bowel and they used a little scrub brush to make sure that they got every fragment off in fear for infection. The doctors were perplexed by Allison's survival. They, to this day, have no explanation as to how she survived. There was no scientific explanation for it. She should have been dead. To this day, they say that they can debate the scientific evidence behind it and everything, but there is no scientific evidence to back up the fact that she's alive. They actually leave it up to the answer being a miracle. Now, one of those doctors strongly was strongly, strongly against the idea of miracles. He thought that there was always an answer for everything, that science could always answer everything, and this case made him rethink his faith and everything. Um, whatever he believes in, I don't know. But he no longer leaves it just up to science because that day proved to him that science had no answer for Allison's survival. Despite everything that Allison had been through, right before she had gone into surgery, she immediately told the, the um, surgeons who had done that to her. She wrote off on a written signed consent um, form stating who did what to her and how those injuries were inflicted on her. And the fact that she had enough strength to do that is just beyond me and obviously beyond the doctors, but... Thankfully, she did this because by the time she woke up, there was a detective at the hospital and Franz and Tians were actually already in the murder and robbery unit of their law, inform law enforcement office because they had just raped somebody else a, a few weeks prior. So they thought that they were brought to the office for that reason, but little did they know that Allison was alive and they had absolutely no clue that the authorities knew what they had done to her and that she was alive. When the detective came to talk to Allison, he presented her with their few photographs and asked her to identify who injured her so severely, and she pointed out Franz and Tian. Now, the detective immediately went to the surgeon and explained to him that even though they already had like a written statement from her in a court of law in South Africa, it would be much 
better if it was a verbal statement. And the surgeon was horrified because this meant that all the work he and the other surgeon had just done was going to have to be removed, as in the tube that was going down her throat to help her breathe. And that tube was supposed to stay in there for a good amount of time because removing it risked the whole surgery that they just did reconstructing her windpipe and her neck. So the surgeons went in and they told Allison what she was risking and she wrote on a piece of paper, take the tube out. She was, she was ready to get these two assholes taken down. The tube was removed and luckily it was done so delicately that her neck surgery and the stitches and all that that they did stayed in place. Her first words after the tube was removed was, that's wonderful. I guess it just felt great to kind of feel a little bit normal after all of that happened. And immediately she said my attackers were friends and Tian's. She was soon discharged from the hospital, but her journey was just about to begin. She would have to go into the police station multiple times to identify them through lineups and all of that. Um, take evidence, take pictures of her wounds as they were healing, which was horrible because each time she had to have like some of her pubic hairs removed, pictures taken of her pubic area by male officers, like just a lot of re-victimization. Not that they meant to do it, but it's kind of hard not to get upset when you're constantly living every single day reminded of what happened to you. And that was all before the trial even happened. When Allison had to go in and identify the two of these monsters on a lineup, she was terrified. Even though she was right behind the two-way mirror, she was just terrified to see their faces again, as I'm sure anybody would be. Allison's case had affected the whole community, her friends, her family. Her friends came to see her in the hospital, and they could do nothing but cry because of the nature of her wounds. Allison would make a joke and say, look, I didn't even crack a nail. And instead, this made them cry even more because they realized that she had dirt and blood caked under her nails. But she was still trying to remain lighthearted. And she was so happy because while she was in the hospital, she was getting letters. Her friends brought her letters, but they couldn't help but feel guilt because they knew that at the end of the night on that summer day, they went home and she almost lost her life. So as I'm sure you can tell, Allison is a warrior. She is a person I wish I could be, who takes the darkest and the worst moments and makes them lighthearted, who cares about other people a little bit more than she cares about herself. A strong individual. Allison's recovery was painful, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Re-establishing herself, reacclimating to regular life outside of Franz and Tian's was difficult. The injuries they had inflicted on her body would cause her to have medical issues for the rest of her life. She would also find out that she wasn't the first person that was assaulted by Franz and Tian's. They had actually assaulted two other women before her. And the disturbing part? Franz had a wife and a child. What really irks me is when the detective spoke to Franz and was just like, do you know why you're here? And he's just like, um, no, I don't know. Like robbery. I don't know. Um, I have no idea. And he's like, okay, well, sexual assault. And he was just like, 
I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, well, you should because that girl, Allison, she's alive. And he turned as white as a ghost and he was shocked. He was perplexed. He almost fell over. And immediately he just gave in. He was like, well, that means you already know everything if she's alive. So I guess I'm really not going to put up a fight. Then he took a ring off his finger and the ring had blood on it. And it was like old dried blood. And it turned out was Allison's ring. He kept it. He took it from her and he kept it. It's sick. I'm sure it was a way of him reliving the crime. Now, with the other two women before Allison, the first one, Franz and Tian's brutally raped, and they threatened her with her life and said, if you go forward, like you come forward to police, we will find out and we will murder you. So she was terrified, and she didn't report the rape until after a week um, had passed by. I don't know what South African law is, but it didn't really seem like they were charged for this. So I'm not sure if it was too late for collection and all that stuff. That's something I'd have to look more into. And then the second woman they raped was actually pregnant. And, you know, they threatened her the same way, but literally the next day she went to the police. And I guess they were apprehending them based off of that evidence. And then, of course, Allison had been the third one. And the third one, they decided, well, we can't let her go because the other two didn't listen and they went to the police, so we're going to have to kill her. So obviously, the jig was up. Franz and Tians were going to trial, and they both originally stated that they were going to plead guilty because the evidence was overwhelming. But of course, they changed their minds and then they tried to um, claim that demons were in their body and that they needed an exorcism. And, you know, they were granted those things. They had... um, whatever religious figure it was come and seek them out and review it and then psychologists would do expert observations on them and realize that what they were doing was um just deception pure deception and obviously they were expert witnesses in the court and that had a big effect on the outcome of the case So during the trial, the judge would actually talk about how Franz would just be staring at him. A clear indication that he was trying to intimidate the judge, but of course this didn't work. Of course, the trial was really difficult for Allison because she had to relive the whole night and everything. And she was grateful to even have a trial. And... Franz and Tians, of course, would be found guilty, and their sentence wasn't a complete celebration for her because at the end of the day, they had still taken something from her, and it's something she can never get back. She wishes that there was a finality to it all and that she could say that she was 100% completely healed, but there's no such thing. Of course, it gets better over time, and they have less power over her, but then there's those days and those moments where she's right back to that night. And it's just something she can't get rid of. It just pops in whenever it feels welcome. She held on to a lot of the evidence from that night, from her clothing that she got to take back. And it was still covered in blood from that evening. But for a reason, unbeknownst to me, but of course to her, she held on to it. And she held on to binders and binders full of articles and what happened and what have you. Allison would describe the first night that she actually looked at her body. The first night 
after she had been home for a few days after the hospital and she kind of reconciled with herself, um, she kind of refused to look at her body for a long time out of fear. And of course, she looked and she had to be one with who she was and then with who she is. Unfortunately, the damage to her neck was just something that would strike her because she always thought that her neck was one of the most strongest features of her body and of course they took that away from her. Allison was like a really happy person but of course she fell into a depression just like anybody else in that situation probably would and for her depression presented itself in a way of not caring and that wasn't who she was. She always cared. She was always really responsible but she stopped going to work. She stopped seeing the people she loved and doing the things she loved and life was just passing by. After a while, something dawned upon Allison. She was thinking back to the night that she decided to live. The night where she was in the sand and she had the will to get up and to decide she needed to continue on. She needed to keep living. She needed to live her life better. And she realized that that she had let that go. She had let that person go. And for someone who fought so hard, she was determined to get it back. So she had to choose to live again. Because in this moment, she was blaming everything on Franz and Tian's. Like saying, you know, oh, it's because of them. It's this, it's that. And it was in that moment that she realized she was giving them complete and total power over her present life. So she decided to make some changes. She was contacted by an agency who asked her to share her story with them. And she went because she didn't want to disappoint these people. As you could see, she was a big people pleaser. And instead of doing it for herself initially, she decided, you know, this agency asked me. They see me as a hero, the person who's sitting home and who doesn't really want to do anything. Me, a hero. And she she deep down knew, of course, exactly what we know. And that's that she's a strong person she's a strong woman so she got herself together she collected herself and she went and he, she shared her story for the first time to the public on a stage and it was almost like a cathartic release she felt all the pain kind of release and she felt better the best she had felt in a really long time and she continued doing it and, and doing it and spreading the word and now she continues to do it and she definitely believes that she is stronger for it it gave her purpose a reason to live strength and healing and in that she got to travel around the world and share her stories with many people she made friends and friendships that would last for a lifetime as the years went on allison found herself recovering more and more until recently so Allison had created a documentary, and I highly suggest you watch it on Amazon. It's blunt, it's real, it's horrifying, but at the same time, it's somehow warming and inspiring, and I can't really explain it any better than that, and it's laid out almost like a storybook. But trust me, they spare no details, and it is very graphic with imagery and the story in general. But it's so important that she made this documentary because Franz and Tians actually went up for parole. Meanwhile, the judge had put a special 
note on their files that they were never to see the light of day again. South Africa doesn't have the death penalty as far as I know. So the closest thing to do that, to that was remaining in prison for life. Allison had to see this in the newspaper and just like that, her depression came back. She fought so incredibly hard that night in 1994 in hopes that these two would never see the light of day again. And here we are. Not only does this re-traumatize and re-victimize Allison, but it also does that to her friends and her family. Then the story gets crazier because Allison would end up receiving an email from a woman in America who would talk to her about how her young daughter was engaged to Franz while he was in prison. They had communications through Facebook. So that's right, that means Franz was able to have access to Facebook while in prison. It's disgusting. So of course, Allison being terrified about this did the right thing and went to the authorities and pleaded with them, you know, like, I have this information for you, I want you to know. I don't want it getting out in the media that I'm the one who told you or anything like that, so please don't publish this or anything like that, just somebody do something. But it said what happened? The email was printed out and it was given to Franz himself. Of course, that was an immediate betrayal to Allison. Where's her support? Franz was also notified that Allison was working on a documentary about what had happened, and in turn, he reached out to the filmmaker and requested an interview. And then he made two demands. The first, a letter of forgiveness from Allison, signed by her, and two, payments he's owed and backdated because she has been using this story since it happened. And to him, she wouldn't have a story if it wasn't for what he had done to her. So he thought he deserved some compensation for that. And for all the talk she had, you know, I deserve the money for that because, you know, without me, there's no story. Nothing would have happened to you. This is Satan reincarnated, in my opinion. Obviously, all of his requests were denied. So now this story does have happy endings and happy portions of it, I should say. Because Allison in herself is a miracle. The fact that she survived is a sheer miracle. But on top of that, Allison would go on to get married. And although her marriage didn't last, out of that marriage came two sons. She was not supposed to be able to have children. It's a miracle that she even had children. Go figure. And you know the crazy thing? Her second-born son, that veterinary technician I told you about before... Yeah, he ended up going to school to become a doctor, and he was actually the assisting doctor and was there for the birth of her second child, which I think is amazing. So on top of all of this, as of right now, Franz and Tians remain in prison, and let's hope they stay there, and that even if they ever do go up for parole, they're never granted parole. So that is the end of the story for today. That is Allison's case, and... You know, most people are inspired by celebrities or, you know, people that are popular on social media and all that stuff. You know, sometimes it's athletes and everything, but honestly, I think my idol right here is Allison. If I had to pick an idol, I I can't describe a stronger person, someone more strong than her. The will and the fight to carry on when 
half her organs are out of her body, her head's not even on right, and she still found the will to live, and she still came out of such a horrific situation with good things happening to her outside of the one bad moment, the one terrible moment that she had. And honestly, I there are a few things that I find more beautiful than her story. So, you know, please let me know what you thought about Allison's story. If you're interested in listening to more about her story or more in depth, definitely go to Amazon Prime if you have it, Prime Video, and check out her documentary. documentary. It's just titled Allison. It's really beautifully done, honestly. I've never seen a documentary so beautifully done. And if you want to talk about it, you know, you could always DM me or message me on my Instagram, which is crimeghoul underscore. You can find me on Facebook by typing in crimeghoul. And same with Twitter. Just type in crimeghoul and you will find me. So I hope you liked the episode. Um, It was rough and kind of a draining episode while going through all the research. It's just such a sad topic and sad situation that going through everything really did take a lot of energy out of me and you know who am I to complain this is this is why I'm here I'm here to bring you guys cases that aren't heavily covered in the media and obviously this case isn't even from the United States but how remarkable is the story a story of strength and perseverance and it's not well known and I think it really needs to be. I think a lot of people should go watch this documentary. There's so much to learn from it about your life and about your goals and, you know, how important life is and how it's important to take life by the reins and steer it the way you want because you only have one life to live. And don't get to that point where it's gone on too long and you don't have much time to turn back and fix it. You could start today, you could start the next day. Just make sure you start sooner rather than later. You know what I'm saying? So thank you so much for listening to Allison's story with me. And I just can't thank you guys enough for all the endless support. This true crime community has really allowed me to be myself. And I always look for a community like that. So I'm really happy to be here. And aside from my podcast, I'm sure if you guys have me on social media, maybe you've seen, or if you haven't and you're a new listener, hi, but I have just opened an Etsy account. I've got crazy things coming. I know as if I I don't do enough, like I'm going to run myself into the ground, but it's okay. It's okay. I like what I'm doing, but I did open up an Etsy shop. It is called Ghoul's Boutique, and you will find the link to my Etsy shop in my Instagram bio or my Facebook bio. And you could do a quick search of me on Instagram as well. It's Ghoul's Boutique, and that's B-O-O-T-I-Q-U-E. I know, boutique, you get it? Ghoul, boo, <laughs> pun intended. Okay, a little corny, maybe. But yeah, go check it out if you like spooky things, if you like cute spooky things. I'm making a bunch of resin keychains. I've got more resin products to come. Um, I'm experimenting with making bath bombs and they're going to be spooky themed bath bombs. So once I got, got that down, that's going to be on my Etsy shop. And I really hope to open a little clothing boutique eventually. So that's the main goal. So if you guys want to talk to me about that, or you have any questions about how you can order anything off of Ghoul's Boutique, just let me know, you know, I'm just a DM away. But other than that, That is the episode for this week. I have to start thinking about what next week's episode is going to be about because I haven't gotten that far. But if you guys have any suggestions, let me know. I'm always up 
and open for suggestions. I prefer cases that aren't heavily covered, but you know, I've got an open mind. I'm open to doing whatever makes you guys happy. So if you've got an interesting case, definitely drop me a DM and let me know. And I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. I hope you have a great week. I hope you live in the moment and you start to take some time for yourself to just be present in your everyday and find the things that make you happy. Do what makes you happy. And that's what matters at the end of the day. Create a safe home and a safe environment for yourself because this world can get chaotic and you deserve that much. So until next time, guys, thanks again. I will talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll have a new YouTube video coming out along the way. I have been a busy bee, so. So I guess that's all I got for you guys. And I'll see you later and talk to you later. Bye.